Welcome to the Haunted Hacker podcast number February version four. This is my fourth episode of this month. Um, and it's kind of crazy because we start out doing one episode a month and then it became three or four a week and, and just insanity. Um, a little bit of news before we get started. Uh, I will be speaking in Atlanta, Georgia on the 30th of next month um, at the TechStrong event, and we'll be doing some Android hacking uh, with uh, Android emulator, emulators, and it'll be a workshop. So it'll be some hands-on, and you'll walk away from that uh, conference knowing how to exploit every Android phone. Um, other news, of course, the U.S. is standing by watching Russia uh, potentially invade the Ukraine. And once again, the U.S. is sticking their nose where it doesn't belong. Um, and it, it's, it's all about natural resources, but we'll get into that on another episode, I'm sure. Uh, today we have Fabricio DiCarlo. I've known Fabricio for a long time, at least 10 years. Um, and we've kept in contact and he's a very interesting guy. And uh, I wanted to bring him on the podcast, talk about some things and uh, catch up. So Fabricio, thank you for being on, on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on and, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, thanks for having me here. So uh, it's, yeah, it's a pleasure for me as well. How are you, Mike? I'm not, I'm not bad, man. It's, uh, it's, been, a, it's been a crazy uh, you know, couple of years, I guess. Um, you know, I, I'm back in the States now and uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. Just put it that way. Um, yeah, so it's a shame we can make it long, to be honest, so I, I really apologize for that. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I've been following your career for quite a while, so what, why don't you uh, bring us into cybersecurity? What brought you to cybersecurity and kind of your journey and, and where you're at now? Yeah, sure. So uh, what brings me to cybersecurity? Uh, mostly curiosity, actually. Mostly I'm trying to understand how things work and uh, what is behind the things, really. So it's, uh, um, but uh, you will understand a little bit more uh, with, the, with my journey. So I started doing totally different things. I was doing SEO, I was doing user experience and so on. Uh, and then at a certain point, I basically found myself without, without a job in Italy because I think Italy was it's improving right now, but was not developed at the time. So we're talking about 10 years ago. I think Greg said the same thing last time he was there. So it's, uh, um, and uh, so I basically started as an analyst in a, uh, in a security company that right now is not existing anymore, was acquired. Uh, and uh, I grew up with my career. So I basically started as a support analyst doing basically things from little company up to big enterprises and I was really good at it actually uh, I, I mean I, and from there I started to explore different areas like uh, working on malware analysis doing a little bit of reverse engineering uh, exploring virtualization and things like that so I so I grew up in my career and then at a certain point I was like hey uh, I want to step up in this direction. Is there any possibility? Is there any way cause, uh, that I can grow? Because uh, you didn't recognize my merits. So it was the time it was the 
the ransomware attack, one of, uh, uh, let's say, 2013-2014, and I came out together with a colleague with a policy to prevent a ransomware attack on the endpoints, and uh, the, the incident response took the merit of that, and I was like, okay, I'm fine with that, but give me the possibility to grow up. Uh, there was no possibility, and uh, so I uh, I moved over. I went to the financial industry for a while, um, uh, and and that was really cool because uh, it was like, uh, oh my god, I I, I was uh, uh, leading from a technical side of small team, so ten people worldwide um, was uh, doing basically exploring different technologies from networking to endpoint to encryption and so on. And, and they gave me the possibility to grow up because at the end of the day, I was like, yeah, that's cool, but uh, I, want to, I want to see the things in a bigger scale. I want to see the patterns. I want to see, uh, I, I want to do things that uh, prevent the car proactive. And I realized that the only way to do that was uh, uh, climb the ladder and become an architect. So uh, I became an architect. Uh, they gave me this possibility. Uh, and it's the best job in the world, man. The yeah. best job in the world. Uh, <laughs> and um, and you know, a serious note like, uh, now, it's, um, and I'm doing that, so I was doing that for the, for the insurance company, again, I move over to the German Stock Exchange. Uh, the, in the German Stock Exchange, the things became too political, right. and it was the time for me to leave. It was the time that I was not learning anything. Uh, it was the time that my manager sent me a message like, uh, uh, we gonna do information security, and I was like, uh, "Hey, wait a second! My title is information security architect. We report to the team that is called Group Information Security, and you are not telling me that we gonna do IT security." So, it's scary. It's very yeah, scary. Something <laughs> is wrong. So it was. Uh, it was for me the time to leave. I got few offers, some as a CISO. But I wasn't ready for that position, so I, I have to self-assess myself. I was like, I'm not ready for, for a CISO position. Mm. And, and then I, I joined Greg and a few other guys that are really nice in, in Calbi. So it's, uh, uh, and then now the head of product and infrastructure security is a very fancy title. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm doing uh, everything from analysts to uh, engineering to architecture to head of infosec type, type of thing. So I'm sort of wearing different hats every day and uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that wearing different hats every day keeps things interesting because it's never the same, you know, and, and I, really, I really enjoy that too. Uh, there's been a lot of companies, I've worked in financial as well, uh, and it was a very interesting environment, very fast-paced environment, um, because it was one of the largest banks in America. And, uh, you know, it's, it's never dull. It's never a dull moment. But looking back at your career, you know, you're, you're fairly young. And, and the things that you've done are pretty amazing. 
And that that's, you know, I've followed you for a long time because, you know, I have a lot of respect for people like you who come in the industry and just make waves. Um, you know, you don't settle. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, I started, I think, was, uh, was 14, 15. I started with, uh, with Linux and, uh, you know, Playing around, like like right. like saying this way, um, and uh, so now I'm 34. So it's uh, overall yes, I can complain about my career and get, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but you know I I also uh, had a lot of uh, um, help from the community. So right. that's why I also gave back from the community. So I was uh, in the in the in the, cha- in the Dublin chapter for for OWASP. Was one of the board member for for OWASP. Uh, I mentor a lot of people or trying to. Uh, there were some episodes that were not really the best ones. I think you 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 had similar situation, and so I, I mean I, I, at the same time I think the. Uh, you know, this uh, giving, taking and giving back from the community is what actually help people to grow. Uh, I'm one of the examples probably, and uh, uh, and I think it's really important to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that the key to success is giving back to the community. And the way that, the way that I gauge my success in my career is not by what I do and my successes, I gauge my success based on the people that I mentor and the people that I help and their successes. Um, you know, when I help somebody and then I see them later on, they've got like a management position. It makes me feel good because I knew that, that I gave back to that person and contributed to their advancement. Um, and I think that's what the community is all about. Uh, a lot of people lose sight as to, you know, what we're here for. And it's a global issue. You know, cybersecurity is a global issue and we're all one family. But I think that people get caught up in the money or the politics and they lose sight of the fact that we're in it together. Uh, and that's what I try to try to uh, embody in people is the fact that, you know, yes, we all work for different companies, but we're all one family. It's, it's just one big community. And uh, I've seen the best out of the community and I've seen the worst out of the community. But I think it, that's with any industry, I think. Yeah, exactly. So, and uh, uh, yeah, as you said, so we, we are one family and that's actually what I'm trying to, to explain every time. So I independently, if you are, I don't know, a governance guy or a pen tester or mm-hmm. whatever, at the end of the day, we are basically trying to reach the same goal. So it's, uh, um, we, we can be even different countries and this country has a very, interesting geopolitical situation i don't care so it's yeah. uh, that goes over politics yeah yeah and uh, you know i pride myself in the fact that i don't limit myself to a certain country of contacts or even a certain continent you know i've, I've got contacts like you in germany uh, you know uh Hennemeyer, uh from dark trace he's in holland uh you know it's it's all about you know diversity i think and not just male and female or race, but countries and, you know, regions of the world. I think it, it's really important that we get those views from everybody uh, to make cybersecurity better. So you're at ScoutBee now. And one of the things that I learned about ScoutBee is that you guys focus a lot on AI and machine learning. And I think that's, I think it's fucking fantastic. So tell me a little bit about ScoutBee yeah. and, and what you have going on there. 
In the meantime, I have to do some missing ones. So it's, uh, I know it's a little bit too early in your time zone, but uh, here it's almost five. So it's, hey, it's good enough, man. It's afternoon, right? Afternoon, yes, plus today's 16, so it's uh, the International Shira Day, so it's, uh, nice. you know, one of the, the startups I have is uh, about wine, so it's, uh, uh, I, I'm a big advocate for wine. But awesome. coming back to your question about Scalby, mm -hmm. uh, Scalby Ames is really trying to, to become the, the Google for supplier and uh, for, for uh, supply chain, but not the, the one that we are familiar with, but with the physical one. So uh, we have very important customers. So some of them are, they are public on the website, so I can mention them. So like uh, Unilever, Unilever, like, uh, like Haugi uh, and, and Fjogert. And yes, we are pushing for the machine learning. So imagine you are an automotive company uh, you want to basically to develop a new prototype and rather than uh, having a supply chain or having your uh, supplier that is giving you a piece in three months, we can give you four supplier that will give you the same piece for in three weeks and probably even cheaper. So that's what we are aiming to do. We are quite successful. Today, seven years that we are in the market. Uh, there is the, the burgi going on in Berlin, so it's uh, we are we are doing fine. We are doing fine, and uh, what we are trying to do also with the uh, with the information security team uh, is uh, uh, leveraging the discovery capabilities for our own purpose. So imagine that. Uh, imagine the situation between Russia and Ukraine, for example, uh, the situation that is going on. I won't comment on that. I'm a little bit biased on that, so I won't comment. Me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, you know, if you're using third party services like that uh, uh, are based or have some ties with Ukraine, a war or a possible situation, a possible escalation of the kings may actually happen, may, may actually create some disruption. So uh, current, uh, uh, I, I was speaking with a colleague in a, in a big financial company, with a former colleague in a big financial company, and they basically they said that uh, they are not capable to understand what kind of suppliers they have ties with Ukraine. They know that they have, they uh, grant some, but they are not able to, uh, to find which one. So we want to leverage this the uh, capabilities of Scalby also for our internal needs. And I think that's the best use case, for example, that we can, uh, I can think of. Yeah. And, and with the pandemic, I mean, we saw the supply chain and, and transportation and everything kind of affected pretty heavily just because of the pandemic. So having that type of, of learning as far as supply chain and being able to look at the next best option, uh, I think is really important. Um, so with, with the artificial intelligence and machine learning, do you guys use like the Bayes algorithm in order to base that machine learning or, or, or AI on top of, or how does that, how does that work? And you may not be able to talk about it because it may be proprietary, but I, I thought I'd ask anyways. Yeah, there are a few things that 
well, first of all, I don't know, I'm not a machine learning expert, and, uh, um, and as well, uh, so uh, let me tell you that uh, we are using different models, we are using different uh, uh, machine learning algorithms. Right now, we are in a major rewriting on some of the applications, some of the key applications. So um, very soon we will we will have uh, um, a new infrastructure, new capabilities, and we will be more uh, powerful in that regard, gotcha. um, more scalable. I, I'm happy because uh, I joined in the right time where this transition happening and I I gave my contributes, which is which is amazing. Uh, but as I get, I prefer not entering into legal because everything I'm going to say may be wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. right. So, you know, I, I've looked at your career and the choices that you've made as far as which company you go to, which industry you go to. And I have to say that, that you've made some pretty intelligent decisions when it comes to companies. Um, I've looked at some of the companies you've been with and how successful they are and, and where they're at now. And, uh, you know, hats off and much respect to those decisions. I think that a big part of cybersecurity and uh, people's careers and success in their career has to do with those decisions that they make and, and when they realize it's time to move on to the next job. Um, and I've done a little bit of analysis and it looks like um, people in our industry in cybersecurity usually stay at a job for about a year and a half until they move on to the next one. Um, I'm guilty of that as well. Uh, but I think it's because of the technology advancing so quickly and, and things, new technology coming out. I think a lot of us try to stay on top of that. So how do you, how do you stay on top of the new technology, uh, maybe some of the new security trends? Uh, well, the, uh, about the changes in my career, they were pure luck. So it's, uh, um, <laughs> I don't believe that, but that's okay. No, 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 no it was pure luck. Was, uh, you know, I effectively never paid attention to, I don't know, what, how critical is supply chain uh, before joining Scalby. I mean, I, I, I never considered that, so um, that, that, that's why I say pure, pure luck. But uh, um, how I stay, uh, I keep updated. So I have, of course, my, my feed and, and song, but I think mostly really what it's, uh, is networking again. Uh, it is. Uh, I spend. A, I try to spend at least twenty percent of my of my time in uh, research and development. Um, so right now is. Uh, I'm playing or I'm trying to explore the, the world of uh, uh, non fungible cocaine. I'm really curious about that world and also the. the possibilities for the future. So I saw uh, one example was one open source company that was uh, uh, giving uh, basically the, the library to use uh, NFT as a, as a subscription model. And I think that's one of probably the smartest use of uh, NFTs. Um, but other than that, really just, just chatting with people, going to a conference. I mean, I'm, I, I was speaking uh, uh, in few conferences this year, and for me, it's mostly an occasion, uh, first of all, to give back, but also to keep up gaking. So it's, uh, and I'm lucky enough that uh, I'm reading a lot. I'm reading a lot. So uh, one example about the, the, the transition in my job. So one, uh, 
uh, it was 2017, and I had I got a copy of this book called Zero Trust Networks. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, that's a very interesting topic. So it's uh, started to make research. I ended up making uh, my master degree thesis on it, and in the meantime, I got. Uh, I got introduced to John Kinderberg, that was the that is considered the father of zero class. Mm-hmm. And from there, basically, I'm speaking uh, to few conferences around the world about about zero class. So it's uh, and of course you keep studying, you keep research. So uh, at the end of the day, it's just uh, reading, keeping form, networking, and everything comes together. So in uh, uh, I'm playing a lot with home automation right now. Uh, for example, so it's um, and yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a pretty cool thing to keep me updated and uh, not fall into okay, the most boring side of our job. Yeah, yeah, I think complacency is is a big uh, factor in our industry too. A lot of people get complacent and they don't advance with the technology and they get left behind. So I, I try to encourage people to stay on top of research. You know, do home research. People coming into the industry and you know, they're new and, and they don't know all the ins and outs of the industry. I always tell them, learn, 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 never stop learning. Um, yeah, Pagamic was, uh, was was fantastic for that because a lot of companies uh, gave the, the material for free, certification for free. Uh, I think I got most of the certification like 10 or 15 during the, the first year of pandemic. So it's, uh, I mean, it, it's pretty cool way to keep up getting. So it's uh, yeah. uh, just study for the certification. If you don't have the, the means, do not do certification. Uh, it's also a good way. So it's. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I was supposed to speak in Frankfurt um, at the Cloud Expo uh, in May. Unfortunately, I can't leave the country. Um, but yeah, you get in Germany, they have a lot of really interesting conferences. Um, I think the cloud expo is probably one of the more interesting I've seen. Uh, but I think, you know, when we get to a certain level in our career that we have information to share that's valuable, I think it's really important for, for people to actually get out and, and speak. And I know that you do a fair share. I was watching a video earlier, uh, before we start talking, um, you were giving an interview about zero trust. Uh, and it was a really interesting interview. And zero trust is, a, is an interesting topic. Um, I know that that's been you know, a buzzword in certain circles for a while now. Um, and you know, there's a lot of topics and trends that, that are evolving as we speak. And one of them is ransomware. And I know that you've done some, some malware reversal and, and some malware analysis. And that, that's one of my passions as well is, is reversing malware. Um, you know, so why don't you give us like a, just a brief overview of, of your view of ransomware and where we're at as an industry and, and where you think it's going? Uh, in, uh, so ransomware, unfortunately, is something that is going around for, for a decade. I mean, it can evolve over the time, but it's going around for a decade and uh, uh, yeah, attackers keep them being very, very proficient in doing that. I mean, right now we are talking about ransomware as a service and I, I have to say that the cost is really cheap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you think, why I don't do that? <laughs> I mean, I saw the legal implications. So, but, uh, uh, on, on, 
now joking aside, I, I, I mean, while ransomware attackers are keeping evolving, uh, I noticed though that uh, most of the breaches that happen in the ransomware are really so. How the, the way how ransomware enter into the companies are effective quite simple. So it's uh, I mean we are talking about. Um, I, I was reading some statistics uh, in time ago, and uh, we are talking about 80% of the times is things like Cobalt Strike. Mm-hmm. And we know Cobalt Strike is going around for a while. So just, I mean, just do that, just, just protect against that, or uh, other things was like... Uh, Proxy um, show. Proxy shell or uh, I don't know, so the very stupid thing. So now I don't remember in top of my mind how was the, the, the ranking, but uh, and that's why uh, coming back to your previous question, why I I, I moved to Scoutbeat, uh, uh, why I joined Greg in uh, in that. So full disclosure, Greg is my boss, so <laughs> but uh, and I'm a big fan of him. Uh, from before he hired me, but uh, I, I mean, what is, uh, uh, let's say, his approach to security is really close to, my, to mine. So mm. uh, let's focus on fundamentals, let's focus on protecting the stuff, and then everything that is on top uh, um, is basically is amazing because uh, I see a lot of companies got breached by ransomware, get, for example, a certified guy for 27. Fantastic. Yeah, that's okay. Then you ask, okay, what about the asset inventory? Or what about, do you have the, the list of applications? So it's, uh, and they, they don't have that. So it's uh, like, uh, uh, so I, I, while I think the, the technologies and also the attackers going uh, um, are evolving, uh we are we are really being regret regressing let's say in this uh, english way we don't think about the fundamentals we think mostly about uh, uh certification most about the the, uh, the new fancy tools we call the likes going on so right and, and that i think that's the biggest problem so i've done a lot of instant response in the past i guess six months and 90 percent of those incidents i'm, I'm researching and analyzing and cleaning up after usually involve something very easy and simple, like patching, like patching, patching a pulse secure VPN, you know, just little tiny things that, that are common sense, but people fail to do them. And that's giving the attackers the opportunity to enter into the network. And next thing you know, have ransomware. Where. So we use, we use the term ransomware as a service, which is very interesting. That, that whole economic model and that whole environment is really interesting. But now we've seen ransomware as a weapon, you know, Russia using it against the Ukraine and the Ukrainian government. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to see a lot more critical industries affected by ransomware as a weapon. Um, and that's scary because, you know, if we can't protect on a very basic level, uh, the companies that, that you know, run infrastructure, if we can't patch, if we can't control the, the security in a small company, how are we going to do it as a country? Um, and I think the Ukraine got the first taste of that as to, you know, the world is not ready for ransomware as a weapon. 
And uh, that was one of my predictions for this year was I think ransomware is going to evolve into a weaponized digital weapon. And it, it, it is going down that path. And I think it's really scary. Um, you know, just watching what's going on between the Ukraine and, and Russia, it's a very politicized environment. Um, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of people who are, you know, emotionally tied to it. Um, and I don't mean to, you know, minimize that. Um, I do have family on both sides. Uh, so it's, it's a really tricky situation. But I think we're seeing a lot of trends that are starting just in this situation. When you look at the hacktivists stop the train going to Belarus, um, when you see, you know, Russia hitting the Ukraine government and the banking systems, uh, locking out banks. I mean, literally yesterday, there were people in Ukraine who couldn't access money because the, the banks were getting attacked with mad denial of service attacks. So I, I think as an industry, we're going to start seeing a lot more drastic things happening this year based on geopolitics. What, what are your thoughts on geopolitics? I mean, you don't have to take a stance either way, but you know, what do you think about that environment and how we're getting politically involved in cyber attacks? Uh, it's, a, it's a very good question, very complex question as well. So uh, let me give you a bit of historical uh, consideration. So, um, I mean, as you said, so one of your predictions was the ransomware uh, uh, as, a, as basically as a weapon for a country, mm-hmm. but effectively that was not the first case. I mean, think right. about Stuxnet, mm-hmm. uh, where basically uh, Israel and US allegedly attack Iran. Allegedly. Al- allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> allegedly. Um, there was actually a, a nice book on this topic. So uh, if you didn't read, uh, I suggest read, or for, the, for your followers, I suggest read, which is uh, uh, this, how they tell me the world ends, I think was the, the title. Uh, not so sure, but I, 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 uh, I can confirm them by, uh, by a post on LinkedIn. And that actually was very very detailed on that, so it's, um, uh, I still think was very US-centric, uh, mm. but, uh, uh, but was really, uh, was really detailed on, on, on basically on that, on the uh, black market, the exploit, the exploit market and things like that. And, and again, we are, we are talking about, uh, um, on, uh, let's say, Yes, these exist and all countries are working on that. I mean, yeah. US is working with NSA, uh, there is North Korea, there is Russia, there is, uh, uh, there is China, of course. So, I mean, uh, a lot of countries are, are working as, as a cyber weapon. I think Italy as well. Uh, we, I mean, Italy has the, the hacking team back in the time. Uh, now there are a few other companies doing that. So it's... Uh, um, it's, it's Scary, actually, it is. Yeah. Uh, it, it is. It, it is scary because uh, I, I, you really are like okay. I I am a single individual. What can I do? If, for example, uh, a country like uh, oh yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good example because we were talking about that on LinkedIn uh, when we were talking about uh, uh, Dubai and the, the tower. So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, if you go to, to Dubai or to other countries, we have this, uh, uh, we have this tower that effectively are probing your phone and infecting. Uh, now, it 
can be like for national security, but mm-hmm. effectively get infected you. So uh, whatever it is, if you're a tourist, uh, it means that they breach your phone and your phone is vulnerable. So how you as an individual can, can protect that, that's, uh, that's scary. And I, I, I deal with that. I'm thinking and deal with that every day of my, my life, even uh, with my family. So it's, it's quite... Uh, it, it's, it's, very, it's a very... It's a very difficult uh, topic, too, because when you look at the countries that are involved, one of my pet peeves, and, and I don't know why people think this in the U.S. and why they, they tend to believe this, but a lot of people in the U.S. believe that the U.S. does not get involved in, you know, cyber war or cyber attack. And I have to completely, you know, set them straight. The fact that we're not unique. You, we participate just like everybody else. We have to participate. Everybody does. Because if you don't, you fall vulnerable to those weapons. Um, the latest one that, that I took a look at with Jonathan Scott, um, he does a lot of cell phone hacking and stuff like that. One of, the, uh, one of the pieces of malware that we looked at was Pegasus from the NSO group. And so I, 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 I want to say that Pegasus is also what Dubai was using to, to get into phones. Um, and then you look at Obama when he was in office, he actually infected the uh, prime minister from, from Germany, I believe, in, it, you yeah. know, infected her phone and was eavesdropping on her. Um, you know, it, it, it's a global battle. And the thing is, it's been going on for a decade at least. And it's just now coming to mainstream media. And it's funny when I, I, I tend to view uh, multiple sources of, of information, right? So I watch Fox News, I watch CNN, I watch Sky News out of London. Um, I, I have a Russian news channel as well as, you know, all different channels from like Vietnam and China. Um, and I do that because I want to get a worldview of news. I, I don't want to be fed news. I, I don't want the government to tell me what they want me to know. Um, and I think that's important. And even in cybersecurity, I think some of the topics that, that we debate on in cybersecurity, it's important to get multiple views of that data uh, because it's really easy for one person to take control of that data and, and tell you what they want you to know. Um, but I, part of the reason for this podcast is to give a different view of cybersecurity and to, to be genuine and just kind of translucent and just say, hey, this is what we're seeing and this is a problem. And I think with ransomware, there's so many people who put their head in the sand. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to look at the fact that it's become a political weapon. Um, and we're entering into a really scary new era of cybersecurity and companies are just not ready for it. And I think that, you know, hopefully we can spread some awareness as far as, you know, the uses of ransomware and, and why people are not ready. Um, and we saw the first death uh, in the U.S. due to ransomware in a hospital. And I think that's that's shocking, man. It's really shocking. Like you said, it, it's scary when you look at your family and you look at where we're going as an industry. It's in ransomware. I think it's it's going to make some big changes. I think you kind of froze there for breezy. I apologize. I think I lost you for from me so. And now I have a wait, wait, wait. Now I have an audio issue. Uh, I can I can hear you just fine. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear you now, right now. Yeah, Perfect. yeah. So I, I've never, I've never experienced that before. But the entire application just closed, like automatically closed. It was so strange. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Someone is giggling you. <laughs> right. Uh, so it, no, no. But, uh, I mean, coming back to to to, to what you were saying, actually. Uh, that's why I think attribution in Flanker Fonts is one of the most difficult things. I mean, um, I, I'm thinking about things very, uh, some very uh, interesting attacks like Solar Wings, a uh, couple of, it was last year. So uh, it was so well architected, yes. so well done that you think. I trust the guys that do forensic there, but if someone was capable to do that, how can you be sure that they even didn't modify the, the artifacts on, uh, 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 about following? So that's why I, I, I have to say that uh, um, um, attribution, they have to be done with a little bit of grain of salt and also taken mm. with a bit of grain of salt because uh, uh, it, it, it is really, Mm, I think was one of the most critical aspects of our profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just recently, uh, Biden made a statement to Russia that if you attack the infrastructure through cyber means, it's an act of war, and you know there will be prices to be paid. Whether he will back up that claim or, or that threat, it, you know who knows. Um, but Obama said the same thing, and I think the world is coming to a point where that is considered warfare. Um, and will be responded to with kinetic um, consequences. Like you look at um, Hamas and Israel. I just had a retired colonel of the IDF uh, cyber unit on my podcast. And we talked about the whole idea of critical infrastructure being attacked and responded to in a kinetic way. And Israel was actually the very first country to do that. Um, Hamas attacked them through cyber means and they bombed the shit out of uh, Oh out of my Hamas. God, yeah. I mean, cool, that. <laughs> The video was impressive, yes. I mean, I, I, don't to, I, I don't have to laugh, but yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they literally tracked down the IP address to one building and just destroyed the whole building. They were like, you know, fuck it, we're done. Um, but I think the world's coming to that point. So you are working for a very good friend of mine, Greg Vandergast. Um, very, you know, spoken, very vocal about what he believes in. He and I have spoken at many conferences together. We're actually from the same company agency uh, uh, that, that our speaking agency. Um, and he's a really great guy. We actually met at Sapphire uh, conference in England, and we were sat at the same table together with the CEO and, and the former owner of the company. And it was me, him, and Kevin Fielder. We all became really good friends. So I have to say that you're, you're very lucky to have Greg as a CISO because he, he thinks out of the box. And I think that's really important. He, you know, you either love him or you hate him. But I think the reason why is because he's so vocal and he doesn't think in traditional ways. And I totally respect that. So, you know, you, you have a great opportunity with him. I think that's really cool. Um, you know, I'd love to see, you know, the three of us on a, on a conference at some time and, and, you know, talk about cybersecurity. Because I think that the, between the three of us, the way that we look at things is much different than most people in the industry. Yeah, so uh, actually you mentioned also Kevin, so uh, I mean, it's funny because when I was looking for a job uh, a couple of years ago, I was still in Dublin at the time, uh, and I was 
reaching out basically all the UK community. So it's uh, uh, a rich caring, a rich, uh, uh, probably that was a little bit more than two years ago, was probably three. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I was mostly looking for mentoring from their side. Uh, so again, I got mentoring from Greg in a different way. So it's, uh, uh, but, but yeah, no, I, I have to say Greg is, uh, it's not easy to work with him. Uh, I mean, I'm telling him every day. So it's, uh, it's, uh, cause, uh, there is a lot to do. And but, but at the same time, it's, uh, it, it's amazing. So yes, I, I have to say, yes, I, I feel myself very lucky to, to have this opportunity. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, the European cybersecurity community is really impressive. Uh, when I was over there, I just recently came back late last year. And when I was over in the UK, I, I have to say the people I met were amazing. And, and, you know, everybody's excited about cybersecurity. Here in the US, the, the industry is very saturated and it's very, you know, vendor specific. And, and we don't have quite the community that the UK has. So, you know, in Europe, you guys are very lucky to have that community, that, that tight-knit community where everybody knows everybody by one degree of separation. Um, and I think it's really cool. Yeah, UK and uh, I, so, so I traveled for quite some countries. I, I work in Poland, I work in, uh, I work in Italy, I work in Poland, and Dublin, and now Germany. So German uh, is... I would say there is the more uh, corporate kind of thing and the, the, the more underground. So the, the underground thing, which is really active in Berlin uh, with, with the CCC and, uh, and the, the different camps, yeah, that's, that's really cool. It's really nice. Uh, UK is probably the best mix because you have the corporate, mm-hmm. you have the underground. Like, they are all together, which is which is fantastic. So yeah. uh, and the networking that you can do within the the, the, the UK community it's uh, uh, is quite amazing. Uh, Polish thing is uh, is growing and it's growing fast and great. I have to say uh, mm-hmm. there are a lot of companies really active in uh, in uh, either in a hiring and conference research. So it's uh, uh, it's. It's really impressive the, the thing that there is in uh, uh, in all Eastern European parks. So. Yeah, w- when I was a kid, one of my first uh, colleagues that I worked closely with, with maybe some illegal hacking that got me in trouble, um, was from Poland, and uh, we stayed in contact for for a very long time. Um, and the hacking scene in Poland is just absolutely amazing. And you know, to be honest with you, like the U.S., we do have an underground scene. Uh, it's not what uh, I've seen over in Europe. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with like, especially Poland, I think a lot of those circles, um, you know, when you look at the former Soviet Union before the fall of the Soviet Union, there were a lot of computer scientists who were employed by the government. And after the fall of the Soviet Union, those scientists left because they needed a job and, and the government was no longer supporting them. Um, and a lot of those guys went to different countries. I think that that's why you see a lot of um, Slavic countries with, with a lot of hacking groups uh, that are that are involved. Um, so yeah, like yeah, I, I really enjoyed it there, and uh, it, it was it was a great opportunity for me to meet a lot of people. And the technology they have in the UK is is just really interesting. Uh, Max Hennemeyer, I keep mentioning him. Um, 
from Dark Trace. He, you know, I went to Cambridge to meet with him, and he's a really interesting guy. He was one of the, you know, one of the early members of Triple uh, C, the Computer Chaos Club. Um, so it's really cool. Like, there's a lot of history there. So, Fabrizio, it was awesome having you on. Um, I really enjoy it. And we you know, should we, do more often, actually. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you want to come on and, and maybe uh, help me co-host sometime, I think that would be fabulous. Uh, that way we get both the European view and the American view of what's going on. Um, I, think definitely, definitely. I think I'd be pretty well balanced. So give my best to Greg and uh, good luck with uh, Scout V. I know that you'll be a success there as usual. Um, and if you ever need anything from me, let me know. And uh, I do really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me uh, again and uh, anytime. So just let me know uh, when you want me so I can bring also, uh, you, you mentioned Scobby a few times. So, uh, I mean, let me go a little bit of advertisement. So we go Kings in a different way. Uh, mm -hmm. We are uh, not only doing the Kings in more technical way, uh, but we also have... Uh, uh, different perspective from, for example, from the human factor. So uh, we have one of the probably the leading researcher in human factors uh, that is a discipline taken from the, the aviation industry. Uh, so we do things in different way, and I would love to to talk about more uh, probably with Robin, because Robin she's the uh, the expert in that uh, in, in that field. Uh, so definitely we should we should do that. Awesome. Why, why don't you uh, talk to them and, and see if we can arrange a, an interview between the three of us and just talk solely about Scout B because I think it's really interesting. Um, if you get a chance, look at the platform called Jenny. So Jenny is out of London um, and it's a platform that uses machine learning and AI to find cybersecurity vendors and match companies with vendors for, for specific needs. So it's really interesting. Um, falls along the same type of lines, maybe. And uh, the two companies could probably learn a lot from each other. Um, with that, I'm going to say farewell and uh, I'll definitely be in touch. And, you know, good luck, man. Thanks a lot and uh, wish you a nice day. See you. Absolutely. Cheers. See you. Cheers.